Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Rabbi Mayer, you did, was a recent guest, author of the book, The Power of Tranquility. It's an art scroll release, and it's phenomenal. Here's my conversation with Rabbi Yadid on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, Rabbi Mayer, you did, is with us live via telephone. Uh, as I just mentioned to him off the air, I don't remember the last time that we have had such a reaction uh, to a guest coming on the air. I'm hearing from people all over the world, frankly, uh, who are thrilled to hear me speak with him, and I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, Rabbi Mayer, you did, is the author of the brand-new book from Art Scroll entitled The Power of Tranquility, Illuminating the Torah Path to Peace of Mind. As Rosh Yeshiva of YDE, I believe that's Yeshiva Darche Eretz, uh, head rabbi of Brooklyn's large and thriving congregation, Shari Zion, and a world-renowned speaker, Rabbi Mayer Yadid has assisted, educated, guided, and inspired thousands of people of all ages. In the power of tranquility, he shows us how to achieve the greatest blessing of all, shalom, peace of mind and spirit. Rabbi Mayer Yadid, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. A pleasure. Uh, why'd you write the book? So the truth, that's a good question. I didn't, uh, wasn't planning on it, but uh, I'm privileged to be part of the Syrian community here in Brooklyn. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I speak probably in front of thousands of people on a daily, on a weekly basis. And uh, I have a lot of shirim over the years. So uh, about a year ago, I met Rav Gedalia from Artscroll, um, and uh, there was an idea to put some of that into uh, into print. That's how it started. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of material, but I, end, I wanted to start specifically with this one, the power of tranquility, because, you know, without tranquility, you can't accomplish much in life. So I felt this is the foundation to start working on to be able to build much more in the future. Well, it's That fa- was the choice. It's a fascinating book, kept me occupied over the last couple of nights in a very positive way. And, um, and one might argue... Uh, that your story might even be more fascinating than the book itself. Just for the benefit of our audience, and believe me, I'm very curious, as I am with anybody who's had an interesting background, you you were living in Syria until the age of eight. Would that be accurate? The age of nine, yes. I was born in Syria, and uh, Aleppo, Syria. And with no knowledge of the English language, I assume, correct? Not at all. I came to this country at the age of nine. They put me in school. Where? They were thinking. Where? In Mag and David Yeshiva here in Brooklyn. Wow. And uh, I didn't know a word of English at that time. No, not even the, the, the ABCs. You were already comfortable with English by the end of elementary school? Like, did it, did it take a long time or, or a relatively short uh, time? You know, I guess at a young age you learn quick. So right. probably took a couple of years to get comfortable. But, uh, you know, we, we got to it. And the and the and I don't even know if this is an appropriate term, but I'll use it just for identification purposes. The the Syrian community in Brooklyn was already well established by the time you got here. It was, you know, they started, I believe, in the early 1900s to to immigrate here. They were at the east side. They moved to Brooklyn. Right. I wouldn't say it was fully, but it was definitely getting there. It was by the by the 80s when I got there, 1982. I think there was already a good foundation to the community. And what synagogue did you grow up in in Brooklyn? In Shari Zion. Actually. Oh, in, in Shari Zion itself. Well, and now you're the yes. ra- and now you're the rabbi yes. of Shari Zion. That must be an interesting twist for you. 
Yeah, it's great, you know, to, to be home with people that you know, that you love, that you grew up with. It's something very special. And, um, and, and how would you describe, and especially as a leader in the community, I'm sure you're very familiar with other communities, other Jewish communities in New York, Ashkenazim, etc., Hasidic, etc. How would you describe the, the community that you lead? Uh, what are its greatest assets? And I don't mean financial. I'm talking about values. What are its greatest assets? What are some of the things you're most proud of? when it comes to the community that you lead in Brooklyn? So I think every, every community, I've, I've been privileged to see so many communities around the world, and each community is really very special, and, uh, but in a different way, as, as I'm sure you know. Sure. Our, our community, the Syrian community, I think one of the biggest, um, we'll call it qualities that we have, I think there's a, they have a tremendous heart, and they've always been supportive of, you know, of, of, of helping others, charity, even when the community wasn't as observant in the early 1900s because they were immigrating, they were running from place to place like other communities. But there was always a heart to give, to help others. There was always a respect for, for Torah. There was a respect for, for rabbis. There was a simple emunah that exists existed and still exists in our community, which is very, very beautiful. Right. It sounds like they have a large collective Jewish heart. That's how I would put it. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so, and they're very proud of it. Uh, Rabbi Mayer, you did as with us. The book is called The Power of Tranquility, Illuminating the Torah Path to Peace of Mind. Is tranquility the same as happiness, Rabbi, you did? Is a, is a happy person a tranquil person, or you might argue they're not necessarily equal? It's an interesting question. Is happiness the same as tranquility? Well, for sure, a person cannot achieve happiness without tranquility. Mm. That, that, that's not a question. Good point. You know, happiness is an expression of the human soul. It's not an expression of the human body. Right. And uh, unfortunately in life, uh, many people don't know that, and they struggle because of it. They find, they're trying to find happiness. Like it says, you know, in the... In the uh, Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. You know, everyone everyone wakes up to pursue happiness. That that doesn't make anybody unique. We're all that way. But the question is where we're looking for it. Where is this place called happiness? You know, and we try to find it with money or to buy something or something in the physical world where where a person could have fun. There could be moments of joy. But happiness is an expression of the human soul. So unless a person is giving the soul what it needs. There's no way to achieve happiness that is at least constant and is not uninterrupted. And you and you so would it, argue. I mean, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I did read the book. You would argue that 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 happiness of the soul, or that um, um, uh, you know, the feeling that you're looking for for the soul, is is um, is available. Through what? Through through peace, as you you know, as, as you uh, emphasize in the book, is it you know what is it that that provides that that soulful happiness? So every one of us, you know, the, the word <clears throat> the peace of mind is from the word shalom, right? Right. Shalom usually is something that brings two or three or four or more parts together, which complete each other. So how do we express shalom? inside one one human he's only one person how, how can one have peace with himself he's only one so 
the answer is, as we all know, that we really have two parts inside of us. There's a struggle that's going on constantly that's between our desires, our body, and our soul Mm -hmm. that's looking for meaning, for accomplishment. And that battle rages within us. And when we make shalom with these two parts, and really the only way to make shalom between the body and the soul is to allow the soul to lead the body. The, the body cannot lead. The soul will never be happy and satisfied with the body leading. But as long as the soul is leading, which means that a person's mission and, and their outlook is to accomplish spiritually, whether it's through learning, whether it's through kindness, whether it's through values and growth in the character, if that's what's leading the person, then the body comes along for the ride. So in can, the beginning, it might be difficult, but the body will, will come along at so, some point. So can someone who has unlimited materialism, God bless them, they've, they've made a tremendous living, they're able to, thank God, can someone with unlimited materialism uh, gain the tranquility you speak of, the soulful tranquility you speak of? Absolutely, but definitely not with the financial uh, you know, blessings that they have. That's right. not what's going to help them. So it's accomplishing tranquility. So no matter what people have and what they're able to pursue and no matter how many vacations they go on, etc., that is one piece that they have to keep in perspective. If they keep all that in perspective, then their soul can certainly grow to a place of peacefulness. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if God gives a person tools, the more tools he gives them, financial tools are one of them, he could actually accomplish more spiritually. Right. But unfortunately, as we see, very often when a person accomplishes in the physical world, that takes over his life, and they forget about the one that's really going to bring them the happiness. So it's a very big challenge having that wealth. Rabbi Mayer, you did this with us. The book is called The Power of Tranquility, Illuminating the Torah Path to Peace of Mind. By the way, I, I want to mention, especially if, if listeners have to tune out to, to go to work wherever they're heading, uh, I do want to mention that um, he does have, or by you did that is, uh, does have special messages and chapters regarding teenagers, uh, regarding a special a chapter regarding marriage. There's a lot of different things in here um, that will apply directly to people in certain circumstances. So keep that in mind. It's not just a general uh, philosophical work, so to speak. There's a lot of uh, practical things that one uh, can implement. By the way, uh, Rabbi Yadid, I said to myself as I'm reading the book, I wonder where the Inyana Dioma is. I wonder, you know, if you address uh, what's going on today. And I turn uh, your attention to page 110, where you have a section called Awe of Authority. And I think as we see our major cities running amok, and as we see the government officials completely, um, uh, uh, completely abandoning the police forces uh, right now in the United States of America, I think that's a good example of what you mean by a breakdown of authority, whether it be parents, whether it be rabbeim, whether it be rabbis of synagogues, no matter, and of course, whether it be the police forces. I think, I think the awe of authority is more important than people think it is. Oh, absolutely. First of all, I'm very happy that you actually read the book. I thought you were just saying that <laughs> in the beginning to make me feel good. No, I, 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 <laughs> when, I, when I speak to you off the air, you'll really see how I read the book. We go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, oh, I mean, in the context, in the context of the book, the awe of authority was written to show that there is no way a person can learn from somebody else unless they have respect. Right. You know, that's the first thing I tell parents when they come for interviews in the school. You know, they, that in, in whatever school they choose, that's their choice. Right. But they have to know that whatever choice they make, that school 
in the eyes of their children have to be like Moshe Rabbeinu. That, that, that the rabbi of that, of that school, the Rosh Hashiva of that school, has to be in their eyes like perfect. But, because we, but we have you, failed. You only could learn from people that you respect. But we have failed at that so terribly. I mean, the police is one example, but but we even in our own community have failed at that. How many people come home Shabbos morning, and 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 the first thing they do is criticize the rabbi to their families? That's an absolute su- spiritual suicide for a family. There's nothing worse for a family than to be discussing things that lower the respect of the rabbis or the authorities in their community, because that automatically gives the children and the people, not, not, not only children, they give them a bad feeling, which guides them to the other side, which is not good. Because we don't realize sometimes as parents that we're giving tools to our children of how to operate out there in society. Uh, you, you mentioned in the marriage chapter about relationships, how the teenage years should be you know, training a young man or young woman you know, how to view and how to keep relationships in perspective that will help them when they enter their 20s and start a real relationship with a spouse, etc. We don't realize sometimes as parents that all of this investment during the teenage years of our children is so vital. And this example that you gave in terms of, you know, how we speak, and I'm not saying that rabbis and teachers don't make mistakes. Of course they do. But there's a oh, way but, but there's a way to handle it. And there's a way to, to have your child keep perspective that, you know, that if someone of authority does make a mistake, here is the procedure of how we go about things. I, I'm going to tell you a great story. Now, yeah, from, sure. It happened here in our yeshiva a few years ago. Uh, one of the principals called me, and uh, she told me a story that happened to her, that in her old school, that there was a, uh, uh, there was a child, I think it was, it was in seventh grade, who was not behaving properly, and the uh, the principal warned this child that if they continue this behavior, they're going to demote them down to first grade. And that's what happened. And the, that boy spent an entire day sitting in first grade, which was obviously extremely embarrassing for him. Right. And uh, when he got home, he told his mother. And his mother said, well, what did you do? You know, what? She said, well, he told her what he did. She said, well, I guess that's what you deserve. And that was it. Wow. She, she did not. But then... The great part of the story is that night, that same parent called the principal and blasted them. Right, right, right. So, so that's a parent should always remember that. Right, that there's the there's what you tell the child that authority is important, but if there's a problem, like you said, we're not perfect, right. and sometimes we make very big mistakes. But address it with the person. Don't lower the person. You know, I, I think it's in your book, and I say it like that because I think I've seen other authors say it. The final words we say, and I know that you know different traditions are different, but essentially, the final words we say in tefillah are Oseh Shalom Bimromav, Hu Yaseh Shalom Aleinu Valko Yisrael, Amen. And we're not just talking about you know security for the land of Israel. We're talking about the, the shalva, the peace, the shalom that you write about in the book, right? That that's the ultimate thing we want from God. We want to be able to exist in life with that inner peace that you describe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the reason why we end up our prayer, imagine we, we just, we, we stand in the Amidah and we ask for so many beautiful things that we need in life. We need wisdom, we need help, we need Parnassah, we need, we need so many things. And, you know, when you look at the Amidah, everyone knows that the beginning is praising God, and then the middle is asking for our needs, right. and in the end, it's Hoda'ah, it's to thank Hashem. But very few people realize there's a bracha in the end called Sim Shalom, 
Right. Sim Shalom is not thanking Hashem. What is it doing in the end? Sim Shalom is asking for something. That should be in the middle. Why is that in the end of the Amidah? And I think the simple answer is because the message is, no matter what you did in the last five or ten minutes in that Amidah, whether you praised God, whether you thanked Him, whether you asked Him, and He gave you everything you asked for, if you don't have Shalom in your life, then nothing is of value unless you have that peace. You cannot retain the blessings, even if God send them to you, unless you have peace in your life. And I assu- That's why I'm sorry. it ends off with that bracha. And I assume you would argue if a p- section of someone's life is not peaceful with their spouse, child, and not just relationships, but in general, if they have an inner struggle, they should be working on that. In other words, the goal it's it's not throw up your hands and say okay this is my fate and you know my spouse or child's going to be like this the goal is to pursue peace right rodef shalom oh absolutely and uh, and i think that if we look at uh, at situations where there isn't shalom with a spouse with a family member with a business partner with a community member usually it starts when the person themselves within themselves are at this war when you're when you have a civil war, right? We could appreciate this today. If there's a civil war in a country, it's very difficult to fight a war with another country. Right. You better be at peace first at home before you go out and fight with others. When a person is not at peace with himself, so it's going to be very hard to get along with others. So re- really, when you have shalom within yourself, you have not only the ability to be happy, but you actually can have great relationships with the people around you. Rabbi Mayer, you did is with us, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com, and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. The book is called The Power of Tranquility. I'm proud that ArtScroll has given our listeners an opportunity uh, to get a discount, frankly, on this brand new book, Rabbi Mayer, you did. When you go to ArtScroll.com, ArtScroll.com, use promo code RADIO, use promo code RADIO for your 15% discount and free shipping on the power of tranquility. Rabbi Mayer, you did, is with us. Um, it, uh, one of the uh, one of the sections of the book I wanted to pursue with you is it, the reason I, I, I marked it is because we say it so often, and I think it's important for people to know what you've said about it. Uh, we talk about the Pasuk, David HaMelech says, May I in Yavo Ezri, right? He actually asks a question. Where is my help? Where is my assistance? Where is my Yeshua going to come from? And and you point out, you know, why would he not just make a statement that, you know, my 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 help will come from the one above? Why ask the question? Could you expound on that for us, please? Uh, I think it's such an important pasuk that's said so often. I think it would be helpful to people to know how you approach it. Beautiful. So the, the pasuk that we say is, From where will my help come from? Obviously, David HaMelech is expressing a person who is in a difficult, challenging situation, who doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he's asking, Me'ain, from where will I get help? And he answers, Ezri Me'im Hashem. My help will come from Hashem. So I have to rely on that. Of course, I make my hishtadlut, I make my right. effort, right. I work hard, I try to solve the problem. But at the end of the day, my eggs are in his basket. So like you asked beautifully, why did he just say, my help comes from Hashem? Right. Why does he have to ask the question? So... I think one of the answers to this question, perhaps that's what's in the book. I don't remember exactly. Yes. You might be in the, by now know better than me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, he's coming to say that that's the only help I have. 
Right. Meaning, if I, if I would tell you I have help from God, so he's one of my helpers, besides the doctor and besides the customer and besides that person. So Hashem also helps me. But David HaMelech is telling us, no, where will my help come from? There's only one address, Ezri Me'im Hashem. That is the only source of our blessings, and it's the only source of the one who assists us. Again, we make our effort, we do the best that we can, and we thank all the people who are the middlemen, but ultimately it is the Borei Olam who's giving us the tools that we need in life. Amazing. Rabbi uh, Mayor, you did is with us, The Power of Tranquility. Tell me more about the school. It is called Dar Eretz. Am I correct about that? Yes, absolutely. Yes, it is. And how many right. how, how many students? Not that we count, but I'm just curious. Uh, yes. Baruch Hashem, we started about 10 years ago, a new yeshiva here in the community. And we started with a few hundred children. Today, we're about 1,600 children. 1,600? Uh, yeah, it, it grew. It's growing tremendously. Did you find the building big enough? <laughs> well, we have five buildings right now. Wow. So we're growing very fast. There's a lot of demand for what we have. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we've seen a lot of success with very happy, successful students graduating. How painful is it for a leader of students to see the schools close, I mean, obviously, you know, health reasons obviously are more important than anything else, but to see the schools close for this period of time. You know, in life, we don't predict and we can't react with emotion to things that happen to us. We just have to react in doing what we need to do. So to sit and talk about, you know, the difficulties and, and how bad we feel about them is really a waste of energy. I think what we need to do in life is just read the map and figure out how to deal with it. So... If this is what's happening to us and we have no choice and we're doing the best that we can to live through it, so we have to take the map and just follow the plan. And, you know, we're working very hard. The faculty here, the teachers here, I'm sure in many other places as well, has been working hard to take advantage of the situation. And there have been opportunities. And, yes, there are things that probably we wouldn't have chosen on our own, but that's not our choice. Our choice is to respond. You know, I saw the word uh, once I saw a beautiful explanation that there's a word responsibility. And the word responsibility comes from the word ability to respond. That's right. what it means to be responsible. It right. means that we don't call the shots, but our ability is to respond to situations, and that's what makes us great and strong. And, and it reminds me of what you wrote on page 226, not to uh, see yourself as a victim. It's not a matter of victimhood. It's a matter of adjusting to the situation and knowing that you can be happy and peaceful even in a crazy, unexpected circumstance. Absolutely. By the way, and I, gave us and yes, go ahead. And I, no, I hate to be so morbid, and I hate to bring up a topic as as dreaded as this, but but we know that some of our ancestors, I would say, in both the Ashkenazic and Sephardic community, when their when their lives were at stake. Many of them were able to persevere. Many of them were able to keep a positive attitude. Many of them were able to to make the best of the worst, worst, worst situations. Absolutely. And it's only with this kind of attitude. If you're going to try to figure out why things happen and why what, what could have been if they didn't happen and how bad you feel about them happening, you can't accomplish your life. Rabbi Mayer, you did. The book is called The Power of Tranquility. What a delight to meet you in this forum. I hope we'll be able post-COVID uh, to have you live in studio and uh, and speak more because uh, the book was great. I, I enjoyed it tremendously, and the uh, 
And and your boy, does your reputation precede you? I I got calls from all over the world that, that they heard that you were going to be on this show this morning. And Rabbi, you did. Maybe we could get together uh, in in uh, in the Sparta community of Brooklyn one day. What well, what would we share? Some lachma gin or some kibbeh? What 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 are what are among <laughs> we'd, we'd have some we'd have some kugel with that too. And chill. <laughs> we, 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 we we do it all. <laughs> so you're across the board. I see. I I guess all, all all I have to do is recommend your book to both Sfardim and Ashkenazim, <laughs> and you're willing to extend. <laughs> the menu to whatever is necessary. I can't. I, I can't. I cannot thank you enough for joining us. A continued success with the yeshiva at Shari Tzion, which is such a uh, for us, uh, even us, those outside of the Sephardic community. Uh, your synagogue is so historic. Uh, the number of celebrations and incredible events that I and many people from around the Jewish community have been in your synagogue. I mean, you know it. You know it from growing up. It, it's one of the hubs of Jewish activity in this city, to say the least. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of blessing in that synagogue. So the can, people who built it must have had a, a lot of good kavanot, because it's a, it's, a, it's a blessed building with so many good things happening there. No question about it. And by the way, if you look at the history of those who built that synagogue, that's exactly right. They did it with incredible purity and incredible drive to, to, to help the Jewish community as much as possible. Uh, and good luck with the book. We will continue to recommend it to our listeners. Thank you. And I thank you very, thank very you. much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate your time. I thank you for that. Rabbi Mayer, you did. The book is called The Power of Tranquility, Illuminating the Torah Path to Peace of Mind. And he does have, we didn't even get into it. I, mean, I mentioned David Amelok, but he does have plenty of incredible references from the Avot, from Moshe Rabbeinu and others. Um, an incredible piece on Nadav Aviyu that I had never considered before I read uh, Rabbi Mayer, you did uh, explanation. Um, that really does bring you uh, d- direct messages from the Torah personalities uh, to the way we need to think today. And I thank him, and I remind everybody out there, Art Scroll is doing us again because of our amazing relationship with Art Scroll. Again, a tremendous favor for our listeners. Another 15% discount for both The Power of Tranquility and Rabbi Seltzer's book that we spoke about earlier in the week, Our Man in Jerusalem. Just use promo code RADIO. Use promo code RADIO at artscroll.com. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. <laughs> That was my conversation with our mayor, you did. Coming up next, my conversation with Rachel Berger of Nefesh Benefesh. What's the workforce like and the availability of jobs in Israel right now? Rachel Berger has the answers. Here was my conversation with her last week on JM in the AM for you on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM. Well, for those of you who missed my uh, announcement earlier, let me read it one more time before we introduce Rachel Berger. It is cause to celebrate. Not much, uh, not many causes to celebrate over the last couple of months. Uh, but this is a cause to celebrate. 51 Olim landed this morning as part of a Nefesh Benefesh group Aliyah flight uh, in Israel. The flight follows a record-breaking month in Aliyah, with May of 2020 showing a 100% increase in North American interest in Aliyah compared to last May. April was a 50% increase compared to last April. May is the highest recorded month of Aliyah application that Nefesh Benefesh has experienced in the 18 years since its founding. In May, 800 families and singles submitted online applications out of a total of 1,007 that were downloaded. In comparison, 424 last May. The average age of May's applicants, and this may really be the reason to celebrate, the average age of May's applicants, 28 years old. About two-thirds of these submitted applications were for an expected Aliyah date in 2020, in the next six months, which is unbelievable. Rachel Berger is Director of Employment for Nefesh Benefesh. 
She's uh, spoken to us before about uh, the unique um, uh, vantage point that she has when it comes to Aliyah. I'm sure this month has been quite interesting from her vantage point. Rachel Berger, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Uh, Does all of this that I just read and reported mean a lot of extra work for you now, or the extra work is coming down the road? I would say both. I've had uh, more than, you know, I would say every single week we have hundreds of phone calls with people who are exploring their aliyah and want to know whether it's now or down the road uh, what their employment options are going to be. And many of them also are talking about bringing their jobs with them because the whole world of employment has changed with COVID. Right. Um, if they do bring their jobs with them, do they um, do they still speak with you or your staff at some point, or they literally can can you know seamlessly just start working from Israel? So many of them just start working from Israel. Uh, they may check in to discuss if they're freelancers uh, getting additional work, and some people always check in because they want to know what their options would be if their current situation is terminated and they need to have another plan once they're here. But many of them bring their job and just keep or keep their job. They just right. keep their job and continue working. Now, I always get this wrong every time I every time there's a historical blip that occurs, uh, some major change uh, in the last 18 years, I get it wrong and say it's going to affect in a downward way the number of Olim and the number of people who are interested in Aliyah. Your boss always gets it right and feels and feels correctly that these the blips always go the other way uh, with the arrow pointing up. Did any of this surprise you? Were you, I don't know, taken aback by the fact that, that COVID and the situation now in North America would lead to the numbers you're seeing? I think COVID has really um, impacted the way people think. Let's remember, it's, you know, when was the last time there was an international pandemic? Right. 100 years ago. Right. So I think people reflect about what the, these are at least the conversations I have. People reflect about what it is they really want to do. And if this is something that they want to do, they want to make Aliyah. So now has never been a better time, especially in light of the fact that Israel has seemed to manage this pandemic. And obviously, you know, the fact that you don't have to worry about um, health coverage and whatnot. So people have been really knocking on our doors and wanting to discuss what their options are, how to build a life here. It's been very interesting and very welcoming. We're very excited to help. Rachel Berger with us, Nefesh Benefesh, Director of Employment. And aside from the health care, of course, the tuition bill is also one of those uh, major factors. Um, so we, we suspected, like every country on the globe, uh, that Israel would suffer somewhat, even though, again, the way you described it is accurate in terms of the way things were handled and the differences, you know, the obvious differences uh, geographically, et cetera, uh, with them in the United States and other countries. Um, but nonetheless, we still suspected that the Israeli job market, like so many others, you know, w- would suffer somewhat. Now, have you felt any of that? Has that hindered you and your staff's ability uh, to to find jobs for people? In, in general, is this simply one of those downward turn turns in employment in Israel and the job market's not as strong as you'd like? 
So that's a wonderful question. I'll tell you, if you go back to February, in February, it was an incredibly strong market, and the demand for employees was so high that it was really an employee market. And subsequently, because of people that were let go, uh, you know, the market has changed. But, but I will tell you, and you can see the numbers on our job board, we're posting about 100 new jobs every single week targeting English language professionals. And uh, the need for English language professionals in marketing and writing and communication is consistent. People are having Zoom interviews. People are having real-time interviews, like in person. And people are getting jobs. They really are. Um, I thought it would get a bigger hit than, than it is. I think there are a couple of factors. One factor is that uh, the large companies are still recruiting. But there's something else that's going on in Israel that, um, especially in the tech center, uh, there is a lot of infusion of funds from the government, and the government keeps that engine running. So it's also the fact that people have business. It's also the fact that there are large companies in Israel, Amazon, Facebook, Google, that are recruiting, checkmark, I mean, like a lot of companies. And it's also the fact that uh, anybody can go and look on uh, the Israeli government websites to see the support the Israeli government gives to companies. Mm. Is that job board uh, easily accessible on the NBN website? It is. It's at www.nbn.org.il slash job board. And you are welcome. Everybody is welcome to peruse it. You get to have a sense of just what is going on in the market for English language professionals. Rachel Berger is with us. Uh, you've filled in the blanks for us in the past. I've said, you know, uh, you know, what is the best, uh, or I, I would say it differently. You know, if you're in this industry, now's the time to come. And you've filled it in the past. If you're a doctor, now's a very good time. If you're a nurse, now's a good time. Is is if you're in the tech industry, the only answer now, or are there other ways you would fill in that blank? say every professional, every, if you're a nurse, it's a good time to come. If you're a doctor, it's a good time to come. If you're a PT, it's a good time to come. If you're a social worker, it's a good time to come. I mean, really, you know, I would say that every industry is searching. It's just a different, we love it when it's, you know, an employee type of, uh, of economy, when the employee can just have such choice of five, six, seven roles because they're so in demand. And now it's regular, I don't want to say regular economy, so the economy obviously has taken a hit. Right. You just have to be on top of your game. I'm coaching tons of people. If you're on top of your game, you're getting offers. You're getting offers, and people who talk to me will say to me, I want a specific offer. And I'll bounce back and say, are you sure in this economy you're going to hold out for this specific offer? And they'll say, yeah, I am. I'm like, well, okay, more power to you. Right. Maybe you know something I don't know. You know, yeah. but people are getting offers. Years that's, a- that's really important. Years ago, we spoke about commuters, people who literally lived in Israel but were, you know, in the U.S. 10 days out of a month, two weeks out of a month, you know, whatever it happened to have been, two days a week, whatever it was. Uh, now, of course, uh, it, it, it has become more obvious because of what we're going through here that there, there would be less commuting necessary in many of these professions because, again, people now are proving they can you know, be, be whatever number of miles away and, and still do their job. Uh, is that, is that um, 
handful of people that were uh, that were commuting at that time now going to increase like crazy? Or do you think that the only thing that's really going to increase in terms of those who keep American jobs is that other category of people who are working remotely and almost never will have to travel to the U.S.? I, I think that the remote workplace is going to boom. I've been on a number of international webinars, not only Israel-based webinars, And I'm not the only one saying it. I mean, the big, big companies are saying, please don't come back. And if you look at Business Insider, Forbes, this is going to impact, I believe, the way we work. And I think it's going to impact Olim and Aliyah because people can not only bring their job with them, they can get their next job with them. On one hand, there's the side of looking at, you know, the Israel economy and saying, hey, what do I offer and how can I find a job? On the other side, there's, let me have the whole world at my fingertips. And something that was probably happening anyways in the digital age, because we're in the digital age, something that was happening anyways was the concept of remote work. And it was getting more uh, accepted. But now with COVID, people say, wow, this is a real solution. And people love working from home. Not everybody, obviously. But you read articles about it. And I think that if people have good services to offer and good skills to offer, then they can bring a job that with them and they can uh, commute easily. The, on these webinars that you mentioned you're part of, I mean, do they ever discuss, do the bosses ever discuss how difficult it could be to monitor the work of those who are working remotely? Or essentially, you know, it's all about the bottom line. If the job gets done, they don't care how it gets done. So, first of all, there's software today that monitors how your workers are are working. And second of all, um, there is a ton of business being done now uh, dealing with teamwork and managers and managers who manage their workers that are remote. There are startups that are working in this field as well. So, since this is something that's happening, you know, the industry knows how to find the tools it needs to make it happen. Is the Nefesh Benefesh uh, building still going to exist, or uh, is everyone going to be asked to work from home? <laughs> Actually, we are working in the Nefesh Benefesh building uh, because we have a lot of collaborative meetings that are in person that we need to take care of and, and meet with each other. Uh, but sure, there's also people who are uh, working from home as well. I think that this whole um, experience that we as humanity is experiencing now uh, is going to have a great impact. I mean, I think it's going to leave a, a certain impact on uh, the way the way we run our life, and I think it's a huge opportunity for people who want to make Aliyah. By the way, and there's a reason why I'm reading it, you'll see in a second, but let me just mention that today's Aliyah group, it, only 51 people, I say only because of what I'm about to say, nonetheless, the group uh, moved to... Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Ranana Bat Yam, Petach Tikva Be'er Sheva, Ramat HaSharon B'nei Brak, Yavne Karmiel, Katsrin Kirat Chaim, Mazkeret Batya, Meitar, Netanyan, Netzivot, and Pardes Chana. My point being that these 51 people, you know, now now are representing all these different communities in Israel. Again, it's not only an issue of working remotely and therefore I could leave the U.S. and move to Israel. It's an issue of working remotely. Now I could live anywhere I want in Israel, how many people? Yeah. How many people were tethered to? I I need good commute to Tel Aviv. I need good commute to Jerusalem, etc. Now, literally, the entire country, you know, beckons. Not right. 
Exactly. And not only that, that also means that whatever your budget is for real estate flips it up. That also means that if we have people going to many, many different areas, you start to make the English language book club. You start to make the program that, you know, allows you to have community and continuous community in addition to your new Israeli community. Pretty amazing. I think it's going to have a profound effect. Pretty amazing, I'll tell you. The numbers are just remarkable. I wonder what June's going to look like. You have any indication, by the way, about the first nine days in June if this trend is continuing, or are you not sure? We're not sure. Look, the indication is that every every day we are getting more and more and more uh, applications for Aliyah. Every single day. And it's from every area because, again, excuse me for yeah. reading, but, again, this group that landed today – from New York, Florida, New Jersey, Texas, Wisconsin, California, Illinois, Indiana, Massachusetts, Ohio, Oregon, Rhode Island, and South Carolina. Pretty amazing. Uh, all right, best resources. Uh, you mentioned earlier the uh, nbn.org.il slash job board. What else should people know who are looking to turn people to? People should write us employment at nbn.org.il. We are so happy to answer your questions, get you started, get you thinking. Uh, in any way that we can help. And, of course, one eight six six number that you advertise all the time. Call us. We're here for you. Even if it's just to explore your options, just to have that original initial conversation to see what your possibilities are, that's why we're here. We're here to help you make your Aliyah happen. Yeah, and boy, you helped a lot of people, that's for sure. Uh, nbn.org.il, 8664-ALIYAH, nbn.org.il, 8664-ALIYAH, Rachel Berger and her staff, employment at nbn.org.il, employment at nbn.org.il. Rachel, always a pleasure. Great to hear the uh, incredible optimism as we continue forward and hope that more and more people move from North America to the state of Israel. A pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Rachel Berger, employment at nbn.org.il. Explore, everybody. Explore. That was my conversation with Rachel Berger of Nefesh Benefesh. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up if you keep it right here on the Nahum Siegel Network.